Hi, Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Volkwein's Music, a full-service shop that's been meeting the musical needs of musicians for over 135 years. They offer a huge selection of instruments, accessories, music, and more. They also have an unmatched instrument repair department with some of the most experienced technicians in the business. For years, they've serviced my personal and school instruments, and their attention to detail is why I and professional musicians from around the globe trust Volkwein's to service their gear. Head over to volkweinsmusic.com to see what they can do for you. That's V-O-L-K-W-E-I-N-S music.com. Helping people discover music since 1888. Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Hello, Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. This episode, we're joined by Dave Black of Dave Black Music. He's been in the music publishing industry in some capacity for over 30 years and has a wealth of knowledge on all things related to music publishing. Dave's also an award-winning percussionist and prolific composer whose works have been on numerous TV shows, including The Drew Carey Show and Good Morning America. We'll have more about Dave and his company in the show notes. Dave, it's great to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's, um, it's great. And so, uh, like, like the, you know, the etude books and, and those sorts of things, um, how do new ideas for books from a publisher standpoint, from like Alfred's standpoint, how, how did those come to be? Do artists come to you and say, hey, I've got this new idea for this book I think would be really cool? Or does Alfred um, say, you know, there's a gap in this market, we need to find somebody who can do a book on, you know, um, altered xylophone pedagogy or etudes or whatever. Base etudes. Yeah, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that when I was at, at Alfred? You could have retired six months I could earlier. Have retired yeah. six, six years earlier. <laughs> um, the answer to that is is kind of mixed. I, I think it's okay. it's both. I think yeah. all of us who were acquisition editors, you know, you know, you have a piano acquisition editor, percussion, a concert band, a, a choral editor, a guitar editor. All those people are experts in their field who um, either taught for many years in the school system at the university level privately um, or and or they're active as professional musicians on top of that. So I think their jobs or our jobs as acquisition editors are to look at what we have in the catalog to find holes or gaps that we think um, need to be filled or whatever. And then try and think about um, who would be the best person to accomplish that. Maybe it's an author, a composer who's already got a track record and is well-known. That's always helpful. Maybe it's 
somebody who's never been published before, but they're really great and you want to give them a chance and you think that they'll do a good job. So that's kind of where it, it starts. In terms of people just submitting something, and there are a lot of people who just submit coldly whatever, I the, the statistic is pretty uh, eye-opening. It's less than 1% of all unsolicited manuscripts that are accepted for publication. Yeah, And the problem is, is most people don't even do the research or whatever to find out what that publisher publishes. I, I mean, I, I remember cracking up one day, whatever, getting a submission, you know, uh, and opening it up. And it was a book called My Family and the Mafia. So, you know, <laughs> so obviously somebody didn't even do their homework to find out who was a music publisher, who was a regular book publisher. They just got a list of publishers and just blindly sent it. Just, just out of curiosity, did you recognize the name as someone who didn't get a publishing deal? Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't recognize. Maybe it wasn't what you thought it was. <laughs> and, it, and and actually, um, because of the subject matter, whatever, I think that one just ended up in the trash and didn't yeah. get a, a no response because yeah. I didn't want them to. Yeah, exactly. Get them yeah. after me, which is another interesting thing, by the way. We have um, there are fictitious editors that those letters come from. Unless it's a personal friend of mine or whatever who I have a relationship with, there's a fictitious, you know, uh, you know, name. I won't say what that is because Alfred still uses it or whatever. Who those letters come from, so that it protects, you know, those employees or editors that are working for the company, so that they don't um, personally get, you know, um, you know blamed or you know hurt from that because somebody could say well dave rejected my book or whatever you know i'm never going to buy anything of his again or i'm not going to use his book or whatever so you know it's kind of a game or worse i had you know again you were in the music products industry Mm -hmm. i had to we'll get into the reasons had to let somebody go as an endorser okay Mm -hmm. and it's pretty egregious when you have to do that Next thing I know, I, I started getting threats mm. from this person. Mm. And it's like, wow, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you do. I'm sorry. I meant to apologize to you sooner, but. Um, well, I didn't want to disclose it, but I think we're good I now. Just, I didn't get, just didn't get around to <laughs> it. That's the real That's, reason you're here today, Dave. Yeah, yeah we're good. I, I've, I've matured a, a lot since, you know, those last two or three years. So yeah. I forgive you. Yeah. Um, no, but so, so yeah, un, unsolicited yeah. manuscripts happen, but it, it yeah. you know, but it, it, it's rare. What I recommend people do is study the catalog, see, uh, what holes may be. But the other thing that I really think people should do is befriend the editors that are out there, whatever. Don't be afraid to use your connections. If you're having trouble getting something published, Talk to somebody, and if you're really um, honest about it and you're really interested and sincere, if any of us would be willing to help or whatever. Well, what is it that I, I need to do? Is it not good enough? Do I need to do this? Is it too difficult? Is it, you know, somebody will be glad to help mentor you along or whatever and, and so that you're not just spinning your wheels uh, all the time. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, and again, 
that could come back to you if they go back, take your advice, and it could be 20 times better. Right. So it might be an opportunity there, but that's excellent advice. Yeah, I I think that people think when you get a rejection or where an editor is making suggestions that it's um, that person either putting the piece down or the book down or trying to spin their own, um, you know, ideas on it and stuff. I mean, we're all in this game together, in this industry together. If the book is not as good as it can be, it's not going to sell, which means the publisher doesn't make money or or the author. So it's to our benefit as well as the author composers to, you know, do the things that we know are the things that need to happen in order to increase sales and stuff like grade level ranges, all those kinds of things Mm -hmm. have a big difference in in the sellability of a, uh, of a piece. That's why you'll sell, you know, three times more of a grade two concert band piece than you will a grade five, because there are far more bands out there, middle school, elementary, and so on, who can play grade two music than can play grade five. Yeah. That's also another good point. So, Annotations. So do you think young composers of any music, if they have descriptions or who it's good for, right, uh, grade one, two, three, that's helpful. They should be doing that. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, like uh, Alfred and all the major publishers have that. They have submission guidelines uh, on our website or whatever. And if, you know, for, for the different series, like in, you know, the, the Young Symphonic series and the Challenger series, It'll say, okay, th- this is the instrumentation. These are the ranges of the trumpet and the clarinet and, and, and so on. These are the rhythms that you can use and not use at this grade level. Uh, so if it's not on their website, talk, co- contact customer yeah. service or one of the editors and say, look, I'm writing at this grade level, whatever. What do you recommend? What are the ranges? What are the, the, the rhythm restrictions and, and so on? Yeah. I mean, you're saving yourself a lot of time and agony by doing that research and asking those questions up front before you start writing the piece rather than going back and having to redo the whole thing. But if you had that information, almost like a description, Mm -hmm. you're doing the retailer's work for them as well. You're just making it super easy for someone to help you sell because you're selling it irrespective of what the retailer or whatever – whether it's online, it's already done. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, now we, you know, we've talked about online earlier. Now, you know, you've got Cheap Music Plus, you've got JW Pepper Mm -hmm. and that, you know, you can, or or Amazon where you can send your book or your piece and, you know, they'll put it on there. They don't necessarily market it or do all that, but it would be helpful if you're going to send something to JW Pepper, which is the largest, you know, um, sheet music, um, you know, distributor in the country, whatever, wouldn't you want to research and find out what the grade levels are and the ranges and stuff? I mean, it just increases your chances of a a, a successful sell for that particular piece. Yeah. And, you know, the internet has also given you the ability or a composer, the ability to be able to hear hundreds of pieces online from various composers, various publishers at various grade levels at various styles to kind of get an idea of what is selling, what publishers are doing. And then you're not just kind of stabbing in the dark. You've got a real foundation to start from. Yeah. 
It's good. Yeah. So what about, uh, what about the artwork? How does that come to be the artwork on the, the covers of books and that sort of thing? Well, the, that, the th- like the thinking it behind it, and the process. Yeah. Yeah. If it's like a, um, a musician's lifeline where it's a one-off book. Yeah. Then you sit down with the author and, you know, whatever artist has been assigned to that book and talk to them about what, what the market is, what is the audience, what is the grade level, what, what are we trying to convey? Yeah. And then based on that, they'll do some sketches. Mm-hmm. In the publishing world, like Alfred Hal Leonard, if it's performance music, there are already series that are established. So you have, you know, a concert band series, you have a young symphonic series, you have a challenger series, you have a mini score, you have all these things that have series covers already Mm -hmm. that um, it's the same cover, but you're adding the title and the composer. And so therefore you have a uniform kind of look and and identity so that not only do you not have to do individual covers, but the band directors and and people buying that product know from the look of the cover that, you know, this is a grade two piece. This is an upper level piece. This is a piece that has, you know, is written for two trumpets and two clarinets rather than three trumpets and three clarinets. So in that case, those series covers remain uh, the same and and the the, um, composer grade level, you know, uh, title is uh, done in the same with books. If it's like a, a major band method, mm. like sound innovations, you know, there's already a look in that book. So any supplemental books that follow, follow the major yeah. band method are going to follow the, the same kind of design. The colors may change a little bit. The instruments on the, on the cover may change, but in, in that case, you know, I'm looking at my, um, one on the wall, or whatever. There's you know a wave that kind of goes to the the thing. So the wave, yeah. the the font, all that stuff is the same. It, it, it's the colors and the instruments that may be slightly different. So sure. that when you see all that on a rack, yeah, you know exactly yeah. That's what, what that is. Yeah, right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So so a brand new a book that's published now may be inheriting sort of the design cover of something that was published fifteen years ago. Yeah. Now, if it looks dated or, or whatever, sure. I mean, yeah. we will sometimes Some update updates. those yeah. or do it. But it, the bottom line is the, the the publisher has the final say. We right. know the market. You know, we're the ones that go to conventions. We're the ones that talk to dealers. We're the ones that yeah. listen and stuff. And so, yeah. um, you know, we're certainly open to what an <laughs> author or a composer has to say, and we're certainly um, open to. Um, you know, any ideas that they may have. Right. But the final say is the publisher. And, and, you know, usually most people are okay with that. Yeah. Where you get into problems is if you've got a a pretty big name. I see. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, um, you know, have very strong feelings about what they want and stuff. I mean, you, you, you work it out and stuff, but you kind of go along with it because you, they yeah. don't want to alienate that person. They're a sure. big name. They're, um, you know, that alone will produce sales. And so, um, you know, you, you don't want to alienate them. Right. And the yeah. other thing that I should talk about is because Alfred and Hal Leonard are also pop music publishers. Some of the movie folios or songbook folios like Rolling Stones and, and um, you know, any of those kind of groups 
the cover art is usually based on the album cover or the movie poster right. cover kind of thing, whether it's Star Wars or Harry Potter and stuff. Yeah. So right. that uh, that is really delegated by the movie studios. And they're very right. specific about how that art is used and what needs sure. to be included. And they want to see proofs of it. And Yeah, because that brand has to be threaded yeah. through all of the merchandise, I would imagine. Yeah, that that's, um, yeah. That's a long process and sure. one that we don't really have control over. We're kind of given the art by the yeah. studios and they have final approval of that. But anything that's yeah. uh, original or, or published by or owned by the publisher, we, we, you know, we own. Yeah. Over the years, you've had a lot of success and have published over 60 publications. So that said, Dave, I'm, I'm sure you didn't hit home runs every time you published. What advice would you give to authors and composers who have been rejected by one or more publishing companies? How would you uh, help them to accept that rejection? Well, I mean, I mean there are a couple of things. Um, you know, do your, do your homework and find out what type of music a particular company publishes before you start just submitting randomly that will probably lower the amount of times you get rejected. You don't want to send, you know, um, a jazz band piece to a publisher who doesn't publish jazz band material. So one is to do your research, um, you know, look through a publisher's catalog first to see what kind of material they publish. And if they already have similar uh, material in their catalog, if so, what makes yours different? Because you're going to have to sell that to, uh, when you're submitting that to whoever is going to be reviewing that. Um, uh, another suggestion I have is ask the publisher to give you constructive feedback as to why they rejected the, the piece to begin with um, and any advice they may have in submitting future manuscripts. Maybe it's too hard. Maybe they don't publish that kind of thing. Maybe it, it could be a variety of things, but I, I think if you know most publishers will be honest with you and say, you know, it's a good piece, but we already have five of them that are similar to this or this, this, or this. So that, that's one thing. Um, use your industry, industry connections. If you know an editor, if you know somebody who works for the company, if you know somebody who has been published quite often by the publisher, use that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times either I or one of the other um, acquisition editors at Alfred would get a, a, a response from somebody saying, you know, so-and-so recommended that, um, you know, I submit this to you. They felt it was a good manuscript and so on. Okay. That right away makes me look at it because it's somebody that I know and respect or somebody right. who's has successful publication in, in our catalog. And so right away that, will make me look at it more seriously. I may take it a step further and call the person that they recommend it and say, you know, did you really recommend this publication? And if so, I mean, you know, what do you think of this person and, and blah, blah, yeah. blah. So. Well, it's been, it's been vetted though, right? It, it's been vetted and it's been somebody who's recommended somebody else. And that I would certainly uh, look at more seriously than just uh, an unsolicited, unsolicited submission. Um, if you can't find a publisher, publish it yourself. Um, because what sometimes happens, and it's happened to me 
two or three times in, in my career where, um, you know, we already had a book like it. I wasn't interested. Somebody self-published it and marketed it and, and it got it gained traction and started kind of getting a following and stuff like that. Then they would come back to me and kind of say, you know, I, I, I've been self-publishing this. I've sold 3,000 copies on my own. Mm-hmm. I may be willing to reconsider it at that point because now yeah. it's kind of proven itself. It's got a track record. It's yeah. got an audience and stuff. And if 3,000 people have purchased it, you know, maybe that's something that I missed early on or didn't think would happen. So th- those are those are my um, recommendations. But, you know, things have certainly changed in that industry. Now with the ability, as we talked about before, of being able to publish on Amazon and Sheet Music Plus and J.W. Pepper, everybody now who had to go through a major publisher do- does now have an opportunity yeah. to get their stuff out there. Yeah. Just takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more work, but at least you can get it out there and mm-hmm. um, get the feedback. Or yeah. and what it does is maybe they get some kind of feedback or whatever that will help them revise whatever they've self-published or whatever, and then submit it to a, right. a, a print publisher or whatever based on the information and the feedback that they've gotten from people who have actually used it or listened to it. Yeah. Well, Dave, we've reached the part of the podcast where we ask all of our interviewees the same three questions. And the first question is, what advice would you give to others wanting to become an entrepreneur in your art form? You've given us lots of tips and things on publishing, but I'm wondering if you have a single piece of advice you'd give to an aspiring publisher, Uh editor, composer. I, you know... My advice, I guess, would be, one, to stay true to yourself. That, that's the most important thing. You know, also, I mean, we've already talked about the details of doing your research and all those things to help your chances be, of success, you know, increase by, you know, uh, making sure that you're following the perimeters that have been given and right. so on. But you know, just a rejection of, of any kind, um, you know, is not mean, does not mean that something's bad or, or, or not worthwhile. It's just that there's a lot of stuff out there. So if you truly believe in what you're doing, if you um, believe strongly in the product that you have, stick to that and stuff, get the advice, get, you know, whatever you need to yeah. Get assimilated and decide whether you think that that's good or not good, sure. Uh, and move from there. But I would not be afraid to um, to encourage people, you know, to follow their dreams and, and and to try something. But going back to what we talked about before, give it a certain amount of time right. and stuff, and be ready to move on and or have a plan B in place. What can we do to ensure the arts are more accessible and reaching the widest possible audience? Oh, God, that's such a big question. Um, Well, one thing I would say is, you know, it's important to support the arts in, you know, whatever way possible. Um, You know, science has proved that music can have a great impact 
uh, in other areas of one's life, uh, communication skills, social skills, math skills, problem solving, et cetera. So I, I think that what you gain from uh, music and business is going to help in other parts of your life, regardless of whether it's in music or not. Um, I also think because of, you know, social media, um, you know, the, the, the far outreach of that now that I think we are able to reach far more people than we ever thought possible before. So I think the bigger problem is educating folks that uh, cannot take things for free, uh, that somebody's livelihood depends on what they do writing. And I'm talking about people who, you know, photocopy books, people yeah. who um, download music for free, you know, educating them that this is somebody's livelihood. This is not only the, the composer, the author's livelihood, it's the publisher's livelihood. And you have to respect that and, and, and support that. So, and pay for it. You would want somebody to do the same for you. So, um, so that is the big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, what's the best artistic or entrepreneurial advice you've ever received? Um, there are a couple of things that come to mind. One, I would say diversify. That's the number one thing. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I think um, I am so glad that people encouraged me to do that. And then I did because I was able to make a good living by doing multiple things, you know, writing articles for magazines, writing band pieces, uh, writing books, um, learning the business part of it so that I could be an executive. So all of that combined to make the whole of, of who I am. And so I strongly encourage diversification because I think you can't, nobody can just focus in on one specific Thing in life anymore yeah. and do it for 35, 40 years like our parents did. That, that opportunity right. just doesn't exist. And so that's the first thing. Uh, develop good business and people skills because um, you're going to need that in, just to survive in life in general. But certainly as an entrepreneur and business person, you need to develop good skills. Um, learn a variety of skill sets. Uh, including the non-artistic side of business, you know, good people skills, how to manage a budget, uh, networking, all those things that don't necessarily have to do with music, but they're vitally important to the success of, of, of a business and, and everything else. Even your personal life, you have to balance your checkbook, you have to pay your bills, you have to do all those kinds of things. So. Right. I think it crosses over to other areas of life rather than just, in the business that you're in. Definitely. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for advice. People love to share their experiences. Um, and then uh, again, I, I've said this many times. My fifth one is um, have a backup plan in place. Yeah. Yeah. To fall back on. So, so that's my five takeaways for, awesome. for that one. That's great. We'll get our soundbite or two yeah. out of, out of those. Thanks so much for being here. I mean, as Andy said, tons of great info and tips that we know people are going to get a lot out of. And you just gave me a lot of homework to do on all these names you cited for the show notes. So I better get started oh, on that. Well, thank you both for, for, for asking me to uh, be on this podcast. But, you know, for your contribution to music as well and music education, I mean, you've both been really instrumental and, um, you know, in the industry and building not only the industry, but 
the people inside of it. And so we all look up to you guys as well. And I think what you're doing now is what we all suggest that people do is when you're in a position to give back, you give back. And this is what you're doing. You're sharing your experience and giving back to those that are starting out or those that are in the trenches and giving them the support and the guidance that they need in order to be successful. So kudos to you guys. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. We couldn't do it without people like you uh, oh, willing, you willing so to much. share your experience as well. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast.